and Children's Choir for leading us this morning. Our hearts are encouraged by the passion of your singing. Randy said, what did the children of Israel do when they came out of Egypt? And somebody said they complained. Well, Randy, they also sang. So thank you, church family, for singing so well this morning. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus Chapter 12, as we continue to make our way through this narrative, and today, as our brother mentioned a few moments ago, we come to this text of Scripture in which the plague narratives end and the journey toward deliverance begins. Their exodus begins. This plague, mentioned here in Exodus chapter 12 verses 29 through 32 is ultimately a fulfillment of what God has promised. This is God's word going all the way back to the beginning when God called the nation of Israel to himself, when he called Abram to himself. And you'll remember that text of scripture in Genesis where God gave his promise, his word, that those who bless Israel will be what? Blessed, and those who curse Israel will be what? Cursed. So there should be no surprise as we approach this text today that this, that the enemy, the arch enemy of the nation of Israel is going to find herself in this demonstration of extreme cursing, if you will. But we also know this is indeed going to be the case. Look back with me to Exodus chapter 4. In Exodus chapter 4, God has already given his word to Moses and by extension to the nation of Israel that indeed this time was coming. Here, Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go that he may worship or serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, look what happens. Behold, I will kill your firstborn. Not only mentioned in Exodus chapter 4, repeated again in Exodus chapter 11 at the beginning of that narrative. So the 10th plague is no surprise to the people of God who are reading the text. We know what God has promised dating back to his relationship with Abram. We know what God has promised even in that early call of of Moses to lead this initiative to free the very people of God. We are not surprised as we approach Exodus chapter 12 verses 29 through 32 and see God's action in this passage of scripture and here we learn this truth that is fleshed out through many texts in the Old Testament and New Testament God provides salvation for his people through judgment of unbelievers and more specifically in this text God provides salvation to the nation of Israel through the judgment against Pharaoh and Egypt. 
The tenth, the tenth plague has indeed arrived. God has made preparation, as we have seen already from chapter 12, verses 1 through 20. God has made preparation for the nation of Israel for this exact moment. But not only has God made preparation in the hearts and lives of the nation of Israel for this moment, all persons, all of Egypt knows exactly what the requirement is for this night. All of Egypt knows that this night is coming. All of Egypt knows what they can do to avoid the destroyer, the death angel. They know what they can do to avoid destruction. So even as we see Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt cry out in a few moments, their cry is not one for which they have not been warned. And friend, as we think about warnings, we see warning throughout the text of Scripture. Jesus came. He entered on this Palm Sunday into Jerusalem, held as the king. But even through Jesus, warning was given to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees and to the nation of Israel. Warning was given exactly what would take place. And by extension, warning has been given to you and me that those who reject Jesus, those who reject God's sacrifice, just like the Egyptians rejected God's sacrifice, you too. All those who reject Christ, you too will face this same calamity and destruction and condemnation. And so the tenth plague begins, verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt. The firstborn was struck down all the way from the palace to the pit, if you will, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who sat in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was, notice what the text of Scripture says, a great cry. Do you recall that phrase or that word throughout this narrative? This isn't the first time we've seen a great cry cry on behalf of a group of people. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. Calamity had reached every home among the Egyptians. Egyptians. Then he summoned Moses, that is Pharaoh, summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your livestock and your herds as you have said, and be gone. But notice the arrogance of Pharaoh at the end. And also, bless me. Give me a blessing. This text, this narrative, in some ways is like other narratives that we have seen in terms of the plagues. It jumps right into the plague narrative itself. 
There's no introduction given in terms of what is going to take place. We don't see this back and forth communication between Pharaoh and and Moses. No, the Lord simply does what he's already communicated and promised to the nation of Israel that he would indeed do. And so the text immediately begins with the plague. And what is this plague? In the middle of the night, at midnight, the Lord himself strikes down all of the firstborn children and animals among the people of God, among the Egyptians there in Egypt, beginning with Pharaoh's home all the way down to the least important among the people of Egypt. There isn't one person, there isn't one family that is going to escape the judgment of God for their rebellion, for their rejection of accepting and following God's remedy, God's path for even their freedom. And you'll notice in a few moments, it's not only the nation of Israel that comes out of Egypt. The Bible's going to tell us that there is a mixed multitude that comes out of Egypt. The promise of salvation that we've seen in the first part of Exodus chapter 12, wasn't only a promise of salvation to the nation of Israel. It was a promise of salvation to all who would obey the voice of God, the word of God. But here we see a principle that Jesus himself spoke of in the New Testament. Narrow is the path that leads to salvation but wide is the path that leads to destruction. What was Jesus' point? There are far more people who are on the path toward destruction than there are people who are on the narrow path toward Christ. And friends, the way that you end up on that wide path that leads to destruction is the same way that the Egyptians ended up on that wide path to destruction. The same way that the Pharisees and the Sadducees ended up on that path to destruction. The same way that your neighbor and my neighbor and your coworker, I don't think I can say my coworkers. I didn't think that one through too well. The same way that all people in large measure end up on that path is by rejecting the word of God. Not walking in obedience to the call and the command of God and so destruction hits. And what does this destruction look like? It's final. Friends, there is a finality to death. If the Lord tarries, each of us, we too shall follow that course. We will experience the finality of death. And by finality, I'm talking about in the the present, at this moment. We understand the sting of death. It hurts for a number of reasons. Why? There isn't another phone call. There's not another conversation. There's not another text message. 
There's not another basketball game. There's not another Easter. There's not another birthday to celebrate. There's a finality there. There's not only a sense of finality in this text of Scripture. Pharaoh's firstborn dead. The slaves firstborn dead. There's economic destruction. Cattle, livestock, dead. There's finality. But there's destruction. This, as Randy mentioned a few moments ago, is a type, an image that points us to a greater understanding a final, eschatological, end of time destruction that is coming for those who, like the Egyptians, reject the word of God. And friend, many of you, like the Egyptians, perhaps this morning might be thinking, I can avoid God's destruction. Do you think for a moment that Pharaoh ever thought he would fall prey to God's strong arm of judgment? Nine times already we've seen that Pharaoh thought he was above. Pharaoh thought that he was greater than. Pharaoh thought that he and he alone didn't have to obey God. And you'll even remember from chapter 5, he even says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And perhaps you're here this morning. And like Pharaoh, even though God at this very moment is pouring out his mercy to you and that he continues to allow you to experience life, even though you are experiencing the patience and the kindness of God? Friend, that patience and kindness and mercy of God is not an expression of eternity. It won't last forever. There is an expiration date stamped on your life and on my life. And like the Egyptian friend, if you continue to walk in rebellion against God, you too will experience the finality of death and the destruction of death. And look how great it was. The Bible tells us in verse 30, and there was a great cry. There was a great cry where? In all of Egypt. There wasn't a square inch of Egypt in which the destructive nature of death had not struck and the anguish and the heart and the lives of the Egyptians was not experienced. This, in many ways, is like that same great cry that we've already seen, but a great cry that had already been experienced and expressed by the nation of Israel. 
In Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 and 24 and 25, we see that the nation of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their great cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. But the Israelites could have never understood at that moment in which they cry out to God that their deliverance and God's coming down would be through judgment. Judgment and the death of all of the Egyptians firstborn and their livestock. Pharaoh understands just how difficult this calamity is and so he summons Moses and Aaron and whether that is actually Moses and Aaron in the middle of the night coming to Pharaoh's palace or whether Pharaoh sent word to them, the word of Pharaoh goes to Moses and Aaron and in your English Bibles, you don't see it quite as, as well, but in the Hebrew Bible, you have three or four verbs that occur very quickly. You sit a little bit up, go out, serve the Lord, take your flocks, go. There's a sense of urgency in which Pharaoh's command has been given to the nation of Israel. Pharaoh isn't, at this moment, interested in a conversation with Moses and Aaron. And notice Pharaoh isn't in the position where he's willing to say, Moses and Aaron, I tell you what, let death continue to run rampant among my people and tomorrow remove death. When does Pharaoh want relief? Today. Right now. At this very moment. But wait a minute, it's not over. And bless me while you're on the way out. That's an unusual request, is it not? We have seen one other time in the text of Scripture in which one of God's people has blessed a Pharaoh. Do you remember the narrative? Genesis chapter 47. Jacob has now finally made his way to Egypt. And there with Joseph, Jacob understanding God's providence and God's kindness and God's deliverance toward the nation of Israel, blesses Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 47. Perhaps there's a chance that this Pharaoh, now several generations later, multiple generations later, there's a chance that perhaps this Pharaoh too understands the blessings that come from God. And perhaps he understands that because of the stories that he's heard passed down throughout the, throughout the years. But even if he doesn't know the story of Jacob blessing a Pharaoh, this Pharaoh for surely understands 
the mercy and the providence and the kindness of God toward his people. How many times throughout these plague narratives has the narrator, has Moses specifically said to us, and none of these actions affected the nation of Israel down in Goshen. This Pharaoh is acknowledging the blessings that come when one rightly follows God. But you know what's the problem with this Pharaoh? He wants the blessings that come from following God while simultaneously rejecting God. Pharaoh wants the blessings of living in Goshen while continuing to reign supreme in his mind from Egypt. And friends, this is oftentimes a response that we see to many who hear the gospel call, the gospel narrative. I like the idea, I like the comfort that comes from the blessing of God. I like the comfort of eternity. But I don't like the submission that it takes to get me there. And isn't it interesting that thought often occurs at death. I think the majority of you know that we partner with a local funeral home here in town, and between Travis and myself, we probably do 15 to 20 funerals a year. Oftentimes it occurs that we're being asked to do that funeral because of a godly person who went into a nursing home or was cared for by family at home but they'd been disconnected from their church for 10, 15 years, and the pastor that they loved and knew is no longer at that church. But the overwhelming majority, the overwhelming majority is not because it's a godly person who lived their lives continually in relationship with God's people in his church, and due to providence in latter years, could not join the church in worship? No. It's a story of a family whose loved one was raised at some point in church, grew up in a Christian home, knew the narrative and the story of Jesus, and the family at death wants a blessing from God. They want an assurance of eternity lived in relationship with God. But like Pharaoh, when the death angel destroyer comes knocking, there isn't an opportunity next. The opportunity has ceased. Friend, don't be a Pharaoh. 
Don't enjoy the pleasures of this world. Don't reject the Word of God and hear the truth that an eternity is coming, that hell, that destruction, that death is real. Don't wait until that moment. And like Pharaoh, think you can experience a blessing of God and avoid God's final, complete, total judgment against your life. We see in this first scene in verses 29 to 32, the execution of the 10th plague. But then the narrative moves quickly into this next scene that occurs in verses 33 through 39. And this scene shows us that Israel responds in obedience. And Israel is blessed. If you want to see the true blessing of God, hear these words. Verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls, bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Notice verse 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Here is God's blessing. Here is God's provision for the nation of Israel. Why? They respond in obedience to God. Notice to whom the death angel had paid a visit, the destroyer had paid a visit to whom God himself had paid a visit, he paid a visit to everyone who did not have blood on the posts or on the lintels of their door. So the nation of Israel is leaving. They're not leaving with death. So guess what the nation of Israel has done? They have rightly responded to God. Not only have they rightly responded to God by placing the blood on the posts and the lintels, the text of Scripture also says here, that they had made further preparations as Moses had commanded. But it wasn't just Moses that had commanded that. It was God through Moses that had commanded exactly how they were to make preparations. So notice what the text says. Does the text paint a picture of the nation of Israel on this night or this early morning having difficulty leaving the land of Egypt? No, the text reads in large measure 
that everything is flowing well for the nation of Israel. They've met, made preparation. Their dough is ready. Their bags are packed. The text says that they're able to leave from one major city and make their way to another major city. They progressed from the west to the east toward the land of Canaan. So the text, in opposition to the text about the nation of Egypt, everything is going very well for the nation of Israel. Why? They have responded in obedience to God. And notice the language of this text. This text shows us Israel as being a triumphant, conquering people. Who plunders? The winner or the loser? Who plunders? The one who's conquered or the one who has been defeated? The conqueror wins, right? The winner plunders, the conqueror plunders. This text is showing us that God, through his people, has won the victory. They've been fighting Pharaoh. Pharaoh has set himself up as being the one true God, but God has shown the nation of Israel and Egypt. He is not the one true God. God has defeated the evil, pagan, wicked Egyptians, and Israel has conquered. Israel has won. This is an image of a conquering king who has rode into battle for his people, and he has won the victory, and his people celebrate. Friends, this is what God has not only done for the nation of Israel, this is what God has done for you and me. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as a reigning, conquering king. Jesus, a week later, would be lifted up on a cross and resurrected from the dead, from the dead, proving his kingship and his superiority as the true living, supreme king over all. Have you trusted in that king today, friends? Are you believing in that God? Or are you placing your hope in the pharaohs of this world? I want you to see that it wasn't only the nation of Israel who responded in obedience to God. But look what the text of Scripture says in verse 28. I've lost it. 38, thank you. Randy, the other Galatians, right? Hold on, let me go back to verse 37 real quick. This is interesting. And the people of Israel uh, journeyed from 
Ramses to Succoth, which in the Hebrew uh, means booth. And a booth was a place in which animals or soldiers, people found shelter. So even in the language of this text of Scripture, guess what God is conveying to us? He is providing for his people. You might could say they, they traveled, as one theologian said, from Ramses to Shelterville. God provided for his people. But notice verse 38, a mixed multitude. Now, isn't that interesting? It's not only the nation of Israel who responded in obedience to God. There is a mixed multitude of people we would have to assume that in that mixed multitude of people would indeed be some of the Egyptians. You might even go back to some of the narratives of the plagues. And then in the, in the eighth plague, for example, the Lord gave warning that hell was going to be coming, and unless the people took shelter, they would die. And guess what happens? Some of the Egyptians heard, and they responded, and they took shelter. This text is reminding us, friends. It's showing us that God's means of salvation is for all who by faith would respond in obedience to God. Some Cushites, perhaps, in the mixed multitude. Some Egyptians, perhaps, in the mixed multitude. A mixed multitude of people who have responded in obedience to the call of God. And where else do we learn of a mixed multitude of people who will be surrounding a throne, celebrating ultimate salvation? Heaven. Heaven, my friends, will be a mixed multitude of people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation who have bowed and surrendered to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and because of their obedience through faith, they will reap the blessing of God for all of eternity. Will you be part of that mixed multitude? If life for you were to end today, would it be noted of you that you were part of God's mixed multitude? Now, what did the Egyptians, sorry, the Israelites do? Isn't it interesting? God makes provision. We see God's kindness here in that they go and they plunder the, Egypt, the Egyptians. But we already know that they were going to plunder the Egyptians. God had already promised that. So they go and they plunder the Egyptians. It seems, at least from the reading of the text, that they're close to Ramses. Ramses would have been one of the largest cities in antiquity. Incredible wealth would have been there. And this wealth, by the way, is going to sustain the nation of Israel for how long? How long is it going to take Israel from, uh, from, the night of, from the night of Passover? How long is it going to take Israel to get from where they are to the promised land? Whew. This provision is going to last for a long time, but watch it real quick. What does God's bounty do for the nation of Israel? Even in the Exodus text. Number one, they're going to build a tabernacle, right? So God 
through this salvation is going to provide for the nation of Israel to ultimately build a tabernacle, a place at which they're going to worship and experience the very presence of God. But what also, what else does the wealth these people receive in this plunder, what else does it gain them? What else do they do with it? In just a few short days, years, with the exact same provision God had given them for good, The nation of Israel, the Bible says, will take the jewelry off their ears and from around their necks and they throw it into a fire and out pops a golden calf that they worship, that they substitute. So watch it, friends. Be careful. And this isn't even... The main point of this text in any measurable way. Be careful in how you steward God's blessings in your life. Don't be the nation of Israel that takes God's blessings and then uses it for great evil in the future that, by the way, will ultimately come with incredible negative ramifications for the nation of Israel. Just wait until we get to Exodus 32, 33, 34, and 35. God blesses his people. Why? Because they respond rightly. They've made the right preparations. They've prepared in obedience to God's word. And look at how many of them come out. This isn't the point. I don't want to get labored in this narrative. If you want to talk to me some other time about this number, I'm glad to do it. Your Bible, my Bible, the majority of English Bibles are translating this one Hebrew word as thousand. So we get in our English Bibles, 600,000 men. Whether you believe the nation of Israel were 100,000, 1 million, or 2 million, Don't take it from the testimony of Moses here and a misunderstanding perhaps of one word. Just listen to what Pharaoh said. What did Pharaoh have to say about the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 1 verse 8? Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Here's what I know. However many people they were, One million to two million, or a hundred thousand, they were far more numerous than the Egyptians. They were large. It was an incredible crowd of people that's coming up out of Egypt, out of slavery. How does the text tell us they do it? Just read it again. With the blessing of God. You don't read this text, at least not yet. 
You don't read in this text that the nation of Israel were fighting and fussing against one No, God's made provision for everything. They even have provision for food to last. Then notice how the Bible concludes this narrative with a summary in verses 41, 40, 41, and 42. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years, and at the end of the 430 years on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by whom? By the Lord, by Yahweh, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to whom? The Lord, by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. This text closes in summary fashion to remind us that there is one primary player in this life, and his name is God. He is Yahweh. Who was at work bringing about judgment against those who had disobeyed? Yahweh. Who was at work in redeeming and saving and bringing to freedom those who by faith would respond in obedience? Yahweh. And friend, who is at work today bringing people to salvation? The same God that we see in Exodus chapter 12 is the same God bringing about redemption and freedom today. But don't miss it. He's not only a God bringing about redemption, he's also a God bringing about judgment. In which camp will you belong today? The Egyptians or the mixed multitude? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you, God, that you are continually at work redeeming. We thank you, God, that you are continually at work revealing yourself. And calling us to obedience faith, trust, and hope in you. God, we would ask this morning that as we marvel at your work throughout history, through centuries ago, that we too, God, would marvel at your work today knowing that the same God who worked in Egypt is the same God that is at work in our communities, in our hearts, in our lives today. Would you take a few moments, friend, where you're seated and respond to the preaching of God's Word?
For those of you that are believers today, have you been like the mixed multitude and made preparation to follow God obediently? What are you doing on a daily basis to prepare your heart and your soul and your mind to faithfully walk with God? Is obedience to God something that weighs in your heart and upon your mind such that it guides you? Is obedience to God a passion of yours? Would you ask the Holy Spirit this morning where you're seated to increase the preparation of your heart and your mind? Would you ask God to increase in your life a desire to walk faithfully with Him? Would you commit to that this morning? Friend, if you're here today and you've never believed, you've never trusted, maybe you've not been as arrogant as Pharaoh, but that Pharaonic spirit lives in your heart, in your mind, such that you reject God. such that you think you have tomorrow left to respond rightly to God. Would you, where you're seated this morning, trust in Christ? The scripture says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you shall be saved. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. If you're here and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. Please feel free to come forward as we sing and ask us how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to come forward. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you, for there are plenty of People seated around you that would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, perhaps you'd like one of us just to pray with you. That indeed, you might be more diligent in your walk with Christ. You might be more faithful in preparing your heart and your soul and your mind. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. And thirdly, maybe God has impressed it upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family.
Father, as we respond to you now, we ask that our response might be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.